Well, good morning, everyone. Whoa, that was loud. That's a way to wake you up today. Welcome to church. Great to see you. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my great privilege to greet you and welcome you today to worship here at Victory Life Church. Welcome to those of you also joining us online. For those of you in person, if this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. And if you'd like to learn more about who we are, we would love to know you and uh, make a connection with you. And the way that you let us know that you're here is by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you. If you would be so kind uh, to fill that out uh, sometime today. And after service, come see us in the Welcome Center. We have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, if you could go to our website, go to vlchurch.com and click on a banner that you see, Are You New Here? Fill out that form and I will connect with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for worshiping with us as well. I do have a few uh, announcements this morning, the first of which is the fact that we're going to be starting another round, another installment of our class called Growth Track. Uh, Growth Track is a class for those of you that might be relatively new to Victory Life Church, and if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, I would invite you to join this class. It's a great way for you to kind of get on-ramped into all things Victory Life Church so that you can go deeper in your relationship Uh, with God and also grow deeper in relationship with others here at Victory Life Church. It is a four-session class. It starts Sunday, February 4th, which is in a couple of weeks. We meet during the first hour in room 307. To get signed up for that class, certainly you can go to our website and click on the banner, or you could just fill out one of those communication cards and give give it to our ushers on your way out, and we will make sure that you get registered for Growth Track. Uh, My next announcement this morning is about another fundraiser that we're doing for our youth mission trip. It's going to be an auction. But before I make mention of that, I do want to make mention of the fact that we did have a fundraiser last night entitled Our Wings in Chili Night. Give me a thumbs up if you were able to attend. It was a great time. That deserves an ovation for all of you who participated and for those of you that served and allowed that event to happen. I am told that we did indeed raise funds for our youth. And I am told also it was, you know, a chili cook-off night. And as you may know, Matt Petrosky, who's one of our elders, is the reigning champion of our chili cook-off. And I was told this morning that he was indeed dethroned from having been the champion. (laughs) That's Matt Petrosky. And he was dethroned by none other than Josh Montgomery. Where are you, Josh? I saw you. There you are. Give Josh a hand. And you know, the funny thing, church, I was told all of this information by none other than Lori Petrosky, Matt's wife. So we all love you, Matt. I still like your chili. It's incredibly mediocre now. But nonetheless, thank you all for participating, and it's all in good love towards our brother, Matt Petrosky. But we do have another fundraiser that's happening called, uh, it's going to be auction donations, and Pastor Peter tells me that we would love to collect some auction donations, and there are a wide range of things that you can donate for this auction, things like sports tickets, (laughs) vacation homes, if you have a condo that you want to donate for a couple of days, a weekend or a week, uh, something like that, Uh, services from local businesses, and so on and so forth. If you'd like to donate an an item, uh, please stop by our, our youth mission table. I'm told that we'll have representatives there. I understand that Pastor Peter probably will be there as well. And let them know that you'd like to donate something. We'll be announcing this over the next few weeks so that we can kind of build up our our auction items for this next youth fundraiser for the mission trip. So thank you. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of announcements today. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you know how to do it. You can uh, text to give. You can give online. Or you can give as you exit the sanctuary today. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings uh, today. Can I ask you to stand this morning? And as you do so, we're going to bow for a word in prayer together. Let's pray together. Father God, I am so thrilled to be here today because we get to worship you and honor you. We believe that it's important to worship you because of what King David once said. 
in Psalm 34 when he said, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. God, we want to praise you always. That's why we're here. And we know that when we praise you, we are better for having done so. May you meet us here now as we do just this. Praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Two, three. I'll praise you anywhere. He's the God of blessings. So this morning, let's praise God from whom all blessings flow.
together. Father God, I'm reminded of when Moses wanted to see the glory of God. Because your glory is so great, you spoke to him and said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you. I pray right now, God, that each and every person in this room would be able to experience your goodness coming and going today in their minds and in their hearts as we continue in our worship time together reflecting upon your grace, your kindness and your goodness may we experience it as we continue today it's in Jesus name we pray and everyone said together Amen Amen you may be seated well thank you worship team and thank you once again to everyone for joining us in worship today. Um, As I mentioned earlier, my name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and we're going to be doing something uh, very special this morning uh, that I have the good fortune of being involved with. Um, As you you likely know, I get to teach our growth track class, and it's kind of one of the first touch points that individuals have when they come here to Victory Life Church, and then they kind of matriculate from growth track into our membership class and then make a decision to become members here at Victory Life Church. And we have a few this morning uh, that we're going to welcome into membership. And I would like to call those individuals forward. Uh, That includes Valerie McGee. Valerie, you can come forward if you're in the house. Um, uh, It also includes Brandon and Sarah Har. Brandon and Sarah, you can come forward as well. We have many others that are in the queue, um, and we're excited to welcome them, some of whom will be welcomed during second service and others in a few months. But we're just so grateful uh, that we have individuals that God continues to gift us with to advance the gospel in this world so that more can experience his goodness um, in our communities and, as I said, all around the world. We have uh, Pastor Matt giving certificates to Brandon and Sarah, and then uh, this is Dave Anderson Uh, our chairman of our elder, who's going to offer a few comments and and a prayer. Dave. Yes, I am a member of the church. I'm not new. I've been here since the beginning 40 years ago. Can you believe that? 40 years. Wow. I knew this place is just a wooded lot. That's all we saw. It's just woods. How are we going to build a church here? Well, we've got to cut those things down. So, So I'm excited about having new members come. It is that uh, plan for the Lord to draw people in, to become a body and minister to one another. So this isn't an accident. This is divinely planned. And so that, that is God's plan for us, right? To minister to one another, to build each other up so that we can do the ministry. We can do the ministry that the Lord has called us to. So... Let's pray. Would you stretch your hands forward? Pray for these. Lord, we just come before your throne of mercy today. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've drawn these to us. Lord, that they are joining with the body here. Thank you, Lord. There is much to do. You have planned this from the beginning, Lord, and it's not by happenstance or coincidence that this is happening. Lord, so we pray for their gifts to be added to the body here. Lord, that you would give them tasks, good tasks, Lord, to do, good work that you've planned for them. And, Lord, may we, in turn, be ministered to them. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you. We pray, Lord, for a good result of this membership, Lord, that they would be active 
for you, Lord, and to bring glory and honor to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, Brandon and Sarah. If you see them afterwards, give them a fist pump and a hug and welcome them to Victory Life Church. May I ask you to kind of lean towards your neighbor and ask them, are you ready to hear God's word as Pastor Matt makes his way up here? Did you tell them I won trivia last night? Did you tell them? Good. Did, you, did he tell you? Did he tell you? Oh, we did. We did. The Millers, the Skiff's dads. And the most brilliant man at Victory Life is a man named Joseph Haar. So, uh, uh, not Joseph Haar, Joseph Haas. I just welcomed the Haars. He's, his name's Haas. So. Anyhow, how lucky for Brandon and Sarah that everybody else chose to be welcomed in second service. Don't you love being in front of the church all alone? Way to go, Brandon and Sarah. So we're proud of you. All right, young disciples, you can get out of here. You can be dismissed. Um, I looked at what passage you were doing today. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Hey, oh, there you are, Joseph Haas, you champion of quizzing. Well, well done. Yeah, the chili was good. The fun was good. We'll get the youth out on their Honduras trip. And uh, Anyhow, those of you who remain this morning, I'm Pastor Matt. We're so glad you're worshiping with us. Would you turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 12? A very exciting passage for me. I remember <clears throat> reading a book, oh, about the age of 16 that focused in on this chapter. And I, I, I read about Jesus being the great interpreter of Torah, you know, the Old Testament law. And this is a passage that's, that's really, really great. Uh, years ago, we used to play a game. I don't know if you ever played it. Anybody here ever played Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon? You ever played that game? Yeah, so the idea is if you pick any actor or actress in the world, within six movies, you can get them to somebody that was with Kevin Bacon in a movie. I once played this for like three and a half hours on a trip to Florida, and, uh, and it helped pass the time. And, you know, we can all be connected to someone through, a, through a, you know, just a couple of degrees. I mean, I'm connected to Spider-Man, did you know? I have a personal connection to Spider-Man. You see, a number of years ago at Chapel Hill Mall, Emilio Delgado was coming. He was going to do a, a special you know, appearance. Now, you might not remember that name, Emilio Delgado, because he went by a different name on Sesame Street. His name was Luis. Luis from Sesame Street was coming to the Chapel Hill Mall. So I went up there with some friends, and I greeted Luis. I shook his hand, and I even sang to him, We say hola instead of hello, because that was his big song. And then the security ushered me away from him as quickly as possible. And this, this is not hyperbole. This is all very true. This is not like me making it bigger than it was, like get away from him right now. So I met Emilio Delgado, who was once married to Linda Moon Redfern, who starred in How the West Was Won. And the composer for How the West Was Won was Gerald Immel. Gerald Immel also was the composer for Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, Chuck Norris, baby. So, yeah, and Chuck Norris once had a guest star in 1997 on Walker, Texas Ranger named Toby McGuire, who once played Spider-Man. So technically, I know Spider-Man. Technically, just a couple of handshakes away, right? Right? Now, if I really look at you and say, because of that I know Spider-Man, you're going to look at me and say, you're a lunatic. And I, I really don't believe that today, of course. But, but what I want to talk to you today is about what's at stake as we get one more degree and one more degree away from the Word of God. What's at stake as we get another step and another step away from the Word of God? And we begin, begin playing telephone or degrees of separation with the Word of God because that's what's going on here in Matthew chapter 12. Now, for those of you who might be with us for the first time in the last three weeks or haven't been here in a week because of the bitter cold last week, I want to kind of remind you where we've been at. This is the third sermon in a three-part series that's entitled Fully Formed Disciples Study the Bible. Fully Formed Disciples Study the Bible. And what we've done here is rather than go to some of the classics, okay, of, of why we study the Bible, we've actually gone into the life of Jesus to ask the question why we've studied the Bible. So some of the classics are, of course, you know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. For the Word of God is, is 
I'm sorry, I'm, I'm about to quote for you Hebrews 4. Let me not do that. Uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. We usually go there. Sometimes we go to 2 Peter chapter 1 where we say that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the, own pro- the prophet's own interpretation, but men were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote the Scriptures. We go to Hebrews chapter 4 where we, where we hear that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Perhaps we do what the kids are doing down the hall about the, the grass withering and the flower fading, but the word of God enduring forever. Uh, we, we have these beautiful passages, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But what we wanted to do this time was really show you uh, fully formed disciples study the Bible. Because that word disciple derives from Jesus' ministry. He made disciples and he, and he commanded us to make disciples. And disciples are people who attempt to perfectly imitate their master. And so what we've done here is we've shown these past two weeks how Jesus used the scriptures so that we might imitate it. We might imitate how Jesus used the scriptures. And over the course of the last two weeks, we have given you seven ways in which Jesus has used the scriptures. And then we've talked about the stakes What's at stake if we don't use the scriptures the way Jesus used them? And we learned two weeks ago that what's at stake is if we don't use the scriptures the way Jesus uses them, then it's very likely that we will not be able to fulfill the mission God's put us on the planet for. Because Jesus used the scriptures to hone in on his mission, and we ought to as well. Last week we learned that if we don't study the scriptures, it's very likely that we will be content with a Jesus who saves us, but have no interest in the Jesus who saves the world. And that's really indicative of a lot of Christians today. We're very happy about me and my Jesus, but we're not so interested in Jesus saving the rest of the world. Today there is something else at stake. So we're going to stay on that course, and we're going to kind of bring a cumulative message towards the end here. So in the last two to three minutes, allow me to be cumulative, if I may, on on the basis of the last three weeks. So we're going to treat Matthew 12 with all due respect, and then we're going to bring some cumulative ideas together for what's at stake. But what we're going to do today is we're going to see four more ways that Jesus uses the scriptures. So we'll get out to 11. That's a good number. We're almost to to that biblical number of 12. Maybe you after the service can tell me the 12th way Jesus used the scripture and we'll just settle the matter, okay? So we'll, we'll end up with 11 ways that Jesus used the scripture and then we'll see what's at stake here in Matthew 12. This is such a powerful passage, such an incredible smorgasbord of just biblical teaching. I'm really excited to bring it to you. So without further ado, let's jump in to Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. It says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what it is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence? which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Quite a powerful story, and full of New Testament, first century context. Overall, there's something very simple going on in this passage, and it's this. Jesus is using Scripture to inform righteousness. Because that's what scriptures do. Scriptures inform righteousness. He uses them 
this way when he confronts Satan in the wilderness, or maybe Satan confronts him, depending on your viewpoint. He uses them this way when he goes into Nazareth to try to describe what the ministry of the Messiah is going to do. And point one today, something I don't want you to miss, something that we can sometimes miss as Christians because we're afraid of being moralistic, meaning the church is all about right and wrong and not about anything spiritual. But we must remember, point number one today, Scripture informs righteousness. It's got to. It has to. We don't have any other stable standard because if we, if we get to the point as Christians today, not that the Pharisees were there in the first century, but if we get to the point where, well, it's just me and Jesus, and I'm good with Jesus, and the Spirit's not convicting me, so I'm okay. And we don't have the righteous standard of the Scriptures to fall back on when we have these questions about what is right and what is wrong, then it's just going to be a free-for-all. I mean, ideas have power. So if it's just me and my Jesus, and it's just, well, the Holy Spirit convicts me or doesn't convict me, but we don't have a righteous standard to fall back on, we're missing it. Well, Jesus falls back on the righteous standard here, doesn't he? He uses three different allusions or quotes from Scripture to battle a, a misapprehension, something that is not correct. So let's get into the text and see what's going on here. It says, Jesus and his disciples were going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, you read the passage with me. Where are they headed? They're going to synagogue. As was his custom. Anybody remember that from last week? So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we're told that he went to church every single week to study the Bible with other believers. They read it out loud. They read it a long time, and then they commented upon it, even though he was the only one who knew it all, inspired it all, and could interpret it all rightly. He listened to other people opine on the scriptures every single week. The humility that was, that was necessary for the Lord to model that is incredibly important. So as was his custom, we are now in the middle of his ministry. Jesus is still going to synagogue. He's still allowing other Christians, or in that point, other Jews, to speak upon his Father's word to him. It's a powerful thing. So he's on his way to the, to the synagogue that day on a Sabbath day. And the Sabbath is the day of rest. So he and his disciples are walking through the grain fields, and they're picking heads of grain. This was lawful. Israel was a place where you, the idea was God takes care of us and there's plenty for all. So if you're hungry and you're walking through your neighbor's grain field, feel free to pluck some of the heads of grain. You're just not allowed to take a sickle to it. All right, that was the law. Nobody would have been like, hey, don't eat that. You know? I sometimes have a man that brings me corn from his neighbor and I don't know if he asked permission. Is it wrong for me to eat it? We should fall back on the scriptures to find out. Long story short, I, I've ate the corn. Anyhow... So, so they're picking these heads of grain, right? And they're popping it in their mouth. They have to take the little husk off and they pop it in their mouth, warm it up in their hands, and that's what they're doing. Uh, and here's what the Pharisees say. Look! Now, I, I want to know this. I'm going to ask Jesus this when we get to heaven. Were they, like, were they like shadowing him like bad news? Or were they just on their way to synagogue too and happened to see this, you know? I, I, just, I have no idea if they're like, let's see if we can find something, a Sabbath violation. It looks like that might be the Spirit, but we can't be sure when they're in the grain field. Certainly by the time they get to the synagogue. So if, if I were to reach into my pocket and, and pull out a, a, a breath mint, which is hanging out in that green room there, and pop it into my mouth, are any of you going to look at me and go, you're working? No, absolutely not. But that's about the level of work that these guys were doing. And the Pharisees go bananas. How did we get here? Because that seems rather absurd. And you have to know a little bit about the first century world to understand what was going on here. The Pharisees' original intent was not bad. Has anybody ever told you that? Because they're always the bad guy, right? They're the bad guy of the New Testament, except for like Nicodemus, maybe Joseph of Arimathea, everybody else is a bad guy. All the other Pharisees are bad guys. But, but originally, the Pharisees, after the time of Ezra, you should read Ezra sometime, on how the, the Jewish community began to wrap themselves around the law of God again and say, we're going to take the Bible seriously. The original intent was to honor God. We need to honor God, so we're going to look at these provisions of the Old Testament that says, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and also on it you shall do no, no work. So, so the question then becomes, what is work? Right? What is work? Is mowing your lawn work? Is, uh, is, is cooking dinner on the Sabbath work? These are questions that they were asking themselves, ultimately because 
in the original, they want to honor God. We want to honor him, so we need to define things. The problem is, with human religion, as we begin to define things to honor God, the degrees of separation begin. So you might say that, well, we got to call that work to honor God. Okay, that makes sense to everybody in the room. And then we got to make that work to honor God. But, but what if they're doing that and this happens? Well, we're going to need another regulation if they're doing that and this happens. If you're allowed to slice bread on the Sabbath, are you allowed to butter it? I mean, these are, these are the questions that, that we're beginning to be asked. Not, not because they did bread and butter. I'm just saying. This is, these are the questions that we're beginning to be asked. And, and by the time of, of just after Jesus' day, when the commentaries, the Talmud and the Mishnah, are, are complete, there were 39 categories of work that had been devised. And they were so stifling that they then had to write another addendum into the commentaries called allowances or exclusions. Because people actually just couldn't do it. If all these 39 categories are work on the Sabbath, that then we, there's, I mean, we just, for 24 hours, we can't move. That, that's what would have, would have been, been, and that's where Jesus was living. That's where the disciples were living. Is this anywhere close to the heart of the law? No. Jesus later on states, God didn't make the Sabbath for, for, for himself. He made the Sabbath for you all, right? And, and so he, 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 he's incredulous because he was there when God inspired Moses to write it. And he's thinking, God did not inspire Moses to write it, so my hungry disciples can't <laughs> pluck a head of grain and pop it in their mouth like a sunflower seed. So, so he's incredulous here. But this is what happens when we get degrees of separation from the word of God. The original idea is what? Let's honor God by creating the rule. And, well, if we want to honor God, we, then we have to further explain the rule. And then if, if, if we want to honor the rule, we have to create another rule. You see how that happened? Real simple. We want to honor God, so we've got to create a rule. We want to honor God, so we have to, we have to, to further define the rule. We have to honor the spirit of the rule, so we have to create another rule. So Jesus is, is kind of entering a, a situation that's going to happen like 1,500 years later with Martin Luther, right? Protestant Reformation. We've gotten so far from the original word of God that we can't see the forest for the trees anymore about the heart of what God was originally intending. So, so much of his ministry comes back to saying, Ah, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Or, or you've read it this way, but I don't know that you actually read it. And, and we'll get there in just a moment, but, but this can happen in the other direction as well. This can happen degrees of separation for the law, but it can also happen in degrees of separation for freedom. We as Christians in, in the modern era can say, well, you know what? I am free in Christ, so I can do this while still honoring God. So we move this direction. And then we say, you know what? I, I am free in Christ, so I'm pretty certain that this doesn't dishonor God. And then we take the final step. I'm free because I'm free. So, so the, the further we get from the word of God, we are moving towards nomism, law, or we're moving towards antinomism, lawlessness. Those are the options that we have if we don't stay here. And Jesus explains, you haven't stayed here. For them, the original standard has moved into a cultural moray. Ethics are what should be. Righteousness is what should be. Morals or mores are what actually are. And, and, and their morals within Jewish society was, the Sabbath is our cultural standard. That's who we are. And the fact that no one's allowed to slice bread, the fact that no one's allowed to, to go you know, pop a few kernels of, of wheat off of the stalk. The, the, the fact that nobody is allowed to, to make sure that, 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 that they, they don't do any of these 39 things, that's the cultural standard. And so the second way that Jesus uses this very seriously, this is not, this is not Pastor Matt wants to say something about today, and so he read something into the Word of God. I'm pulling something out of it. I'm exegeting something. Scripture challenges the cultural standard. That's point number two. 
Scripture challenges the cultural standard. The cultural standard was, we all do this. And Jesus is saying, are you crazy? Because once again, you admitted that that they were being crazy. You would not consider it work for me to pop a breath mint in my mouth, right? And so Jesus, what are you doing? That's not the heart of this thing at all. You're so far from the original heart of God. And this is just a general idea. It's not one of the sermon points today, but if you're taking notes, catch this. The further you get from the scripture, the more absurd your morals become. Either towards nomism or antinomism. Either towards law or lawlessness. The further you get from the righteous standard, the further the degrees of separation. And all of a sudden, you're shaking hands with Spider-Man in your head. But you don't know Spider-Man in the same way you don't know the word. So he's challenging the cultural standard. It's great that you want to honor the Sabbath. Jesus is not abolishing the Sabbath here. What's he doing? He's saying to the Pharisees, what you've done with my word is just cultural anymore. It has nothing to do with my word. So he takes them back into the scriptures. And this is point number three. And now we're going to get into what he actually says to them. Let scripture interpret scripture. It's point number three. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. And he brings up three Scriptures to them. The first is this. He says to them, do you remember? In fact, he doesn't even say, do you remember? What does he say specifically for those of you reading in the ESV with me? Have you not read? (laughs) We're going to start all of our Bible studies like that from now on. We're going to make a main idea and be like, have you not read? You know, it's kind of offensive, right? Have you not, Jesus says it five times to the Pharisees. These were the teachers of the law. This shows how much they were wrapped up in cultural mores, but not in the righteous standard of God. Because he says to them five times, have you not read? And finally in Matthew twenty-two nineteen, 19, he's just had it. He says, you don't know the scriptures. You, don't, you just don't even know them. You know, you know the Talmud, you know the Mishnah, you know the rabbinic teaching, you know what your rabbis told you, but you don't know the scriptures, and that's why you've landed in this goofball position, where it's all about culture, it's all about national identity. Remember national identity last week and the rage that it sends the people of Nazareth into? He, he, he's like, you don't, you don't even know the scripture. He says, have you not read, and then he brings up this story of David. You've got to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 to get this story. David is not King David yet. He's General David. General David Ben-Jesse, right? He's, he's just a general. He's, he's been anointed to be king one day. He's not king yet. He and his band of not-so-merry men are, are, are moving through Israel, trying to stay away from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And he gets to a place called Nob, N-O-B. And that's where the tabernacle is at that point. The tabernacle is the moving temple of God. And he comes up to the high priest. Jesus says he entered the temple and says, we're hungry. And the high priest says, I have nothing but the bread of the presence. Now, I, I know you can all tell me offhand what the bread of the presence is. Go ahead. All right, that's why I'm here. All right, so we got the bread of the presence, right? There are 12 six-pound loaves. How many of you baked six-pound loaves of bread for fun? Twelve six-pound loaves of bread that, that are put in the temple every Sabbath day in the holy place. So the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant is, the moving throne of God on earth. Then there's the holy place where there's a bunch of other accoutrements that, that, that are in the temple, and then there's the outer courts. So we're in the holy place, a place where only the priests go, and there's bread there, and the twelve loaves of bread signify God's provision for the twelve tribes of Israel. So every week when that bread had been spent, if you will, the priests removed the old bread and they ate it, and they would put 12 new loaves in there. Okay? Now you're like, stale bread, poor priests. But you know, they dipped their bread and stuff back in the day. Okay? 72 pounds worth. Hope there was a lot of priests on duty. Right? So they eat that bread, and then they put new bread in there. So David goes up there. He says to the priest Ahimelech, hey, we're hungry. And Ahimelech goes, all I've got is the bread of the presence. And to kind of paraphrase, David's like, but we're really hungry. And Ahimelech says, are you guys ritually clean? So, so remember, I've taught you this before, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring this back to your attention at another time, I'm sure. There are three categories in Jewish religion. There is righteous and unrighteous, God's standard versus sin. There is clean and unclean. Clean is what you need to be to enter the presence of God. It doesn't mean sinless. 
It means serious and reverent. If you're serious and reverent by God's standards, you can come into his presence. And finally, there's holy and common. Holy means set apart for God's service, and common means that it's just everyday stuff. The bread of the presence is holy, okay? And a hymn like Ask David, Are You Guys Clean? Because clean people can come into contact with holy things. If unclean people come into contact with holy things, people end up dead. Okay? So Jesus says, they really didn't have a right to eat this bread, but Ahimelech kind of asks the important question, are you ritually clean? David says, yes, we're all ritually clean. And he gives them the priest's bread, which Jesus said it was not lawful for them to do. Now, technically, what the law says is the priest should eat it. and stops there. There's not a lot of word on if the priest can share it. But he does what every good Jew would say. He gives the bread away, which he shouldn't have. Now, you might be saying at this point, is Jesus trying to justify his disciples' actions? And the answer is no. Jesus is after something bigger. And we're going to get there in just a minute. He brings up a second major point. He says the priests work in the temple. They slaughter animals and make sacrifices on the Sabbath. And somebody is lugging 72 pounds of bread in and 72 pounds of bread out. And they're popping Tic Tacs and said that they're working. Yet the law doesn't say that they profane the Sabbath. What are we doing here? We've gotten so far from the original rule in the heart of God by degrees of separation that we've lost ourselves. And then Jesus goes for it. And this was the point of that book I read all those years ago, the Bible Jesus read by Philip Yancey. Here, here's, here's the great point. Jesus tells them two things that, that, that just are mind-blowing. He doesn't say something greater than David is here. What does he say? Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than all of the rituals that we ascribe to as people. Something greater than clean and unclean. Something greater than holy and common. All in me is here. So what is he saying? I am the great interpreter of all things Jewish worship. All those things you read in the law, I am the great interpreter of those. And I tell you what the heart behind them was. Then, towards the end, he says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Who instituted the Sabbath? The Lord, God the Father. What book of the Bible did he institute the Sabbath on? You get one guess. Genesis chapter? Sure, whatever Tom said. <laughs> Thought it was one. <laughs> Could be two. <laughs> we'll check it later. Because on the seventh day, the Lord rested. And he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So Jesus says, I predate the law as the great interpreter of all things scriptural. That's what he says. He, and, and then the final thing he says, and we'll explain this in just a minute. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have never got to the point where you were worried about my disciples popping some grain in their mouth on the Sabbath. But that's not the way you read the scriptures. You read them to bludgeon people over the head with their unrighteousness. And you condemn the guiltless. So, I read the entire story today, and there's a reason for that. He goes into the synagogue and proves it. See, his miracles were to prove that he was from God and that he truly had the right to interpret all things Old Testament for them. So he heals this man with the withered hand, and how do you argue with that? Yet they are in such a, a, a twisted up place that the Bible says it made them want to kill him. Right? So the final, the final point here, before we get to what's at stake and close, is that Jesus is the authority on the scriptures. Which means we, if we want to get to the gold standard of studying the word of God, we read the Bible through the authoritative teaching of Jesus. Okay? Not so that, what would be the other, what would be some other standards? Well, we don't read the Bible through um, the eyes of the rabbis. Okay? Because Jesus is, is contradicting them here. 
we don't read the Bible through, through the eyes of modern culture. We, we ultimately read the Bible as best we can through the lens of Jesus because he was the authority on the scripture. So we have some really strong concepts here today. The scripture informs righteousness. That scripture is going to be countercultural. It's going to challenge the culture. That, that Jesus is the authority on the scriptures and that scripture interprets scripture. Meaning when, when we want to know what is right, we should first go to Jesus and see if he spoke on it. And if we can't find a place where Jesus directly spoke on it, then we go to a, a wider standard to say, well, what does the rest of the, of the word say about that particular issue? Because the New Testament writers were reflecting the teachings of Jesus all the way through Revelation. So, so then we go to the, to, to the wider community. And that's as far a degree of separation as we should go. We don't go to, well, you know, culturally today, what we need to... We don't do that. Well, 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 you know, human reason would say, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. See how degrees of separation are the real issue here? Whether we go towards the direction of nomism, law, or antinomism, when we begin to let other things interpret the scriptures rather than scripture... And we don't look for the gold standard of how Jesus handled it. We miss it. And ultimately, Jesus' gold standard was, let me get you back to the heart of God. Because the heart of God is on display from Genesis through Revelation. The idea that the law was cold and mean is wrong. The ethical standard of God is contained in the law. And we are not, we are not uh, um, free from the ethical standard of God. We're free from purity laws. We're free from those things that would allow the Jewish people to enter the presence of God in a state of cleanliness so they could enter a place that was holy. But we're not free from the ethical standard of God. It hasn't changed. The same ethical standard that would say, hey, if you're hungry and walking through your neighbor's grain field, don't be hungry anymore. Your neighbor, I'll take care of him. And you take care of one another. That ethical standard. We're, 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 not, we're not erased from that. We're not, we're not excused from that. And that's the beauty of what Jesus is doing. He's getting people back to the heart of the law. So what's at stake? What's at stake? Now, Greg, I'm going to ask you to hold on this last point that's going to go up because I want to tell us first what's at stake just from this particular passage, and then I'm going to tell you cumulatively what's at stake. So I guess you get four what's at stakes. You're welcome. The three people taking notes, you're welcome. I'm not a note taker. I'm sorry. I love the art of preaching. I'm like, give it to me, pastor. So it's okay. All right. Here's, here's what's at stake in this passage. If you don't study the scriptures, you can end up opposed to Jesus. It's just that simple. These were religious men who took their religion seriously and ended up opposed to the cause of Christ in this world. Because the scripture was not their authority. Once again, just like Nazareth, they don't look at Jesus and go, okay, so explain further what you mean by that interaction between David and Ahimelech. Well, well, tell us why you think that your disciples can eat that grain if, if you're going to bring up the whole priest thing. They don't ask any questions. Right? And this is, what does studying do? What does studying the Bible do, folks? It asks questions of the text. It tries to understand. It seeks to understand and integrate what, what God has done. And the problem for, for so many of us Christians in America today is simply this. We're Christians and not disciples. We're Christians in name only. But disciples study the word because Jesus did and he modeled it. Do you see the difference? The Pharisees knew of the word, but they were too many degrees of separation to really make Jesus Lord. The people of Nazareth knew of the word, but they were too many degrees of separation to keep Jesus as Lord. Satan knew the word, and he was certainly opposed to Jesus as Lord. The scriptures confirm that Jesus is Lord, and ignoring it proves he's not. Taken together, cumulatively, over the course of three messages, the study of scripture, it's not the only thing. But it is a thing that will confirm that Jesus is Lord and continue to make him Lord of your life. Ignoring the scripture says, 
I don't mind if I end up where the Pharisees are at. I don't mind if I end up where the people of Nazareth are at. I don't mind if I end up where the culture is at, but I'll still call myself a Christian. And that's what's at stake. Now, Greg, you can drop it on us. The study of, constri- of Scripture will confirm that Jesus is Lord. It's not, it's not that I'm not talking salvation. Don't, don't, don't anybody kill me, you know. Don't burn me at the stake. Not talking salvation. I'm talking about real practical Christian living. Practical. You study the scripture, confirms that Jesus is Lord. If you ignore them, it proves or will confirm that he is not. And if you allow yourself to, if your degrees of separation is the only study of the scripture that I do is listening to Pastor Matt on Sunday morning, that's, that's, that's very humbling. And, and, and thank you. But it's not enough. It's not enough. Because they listened to the rabbis. And they were really off. They were really off. So my, my friends, I know these series of messages have had the potential to be very convicting. Um, maybe to the point of, of you thinking I'm somewhat dogmatic. But I, 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 I just want to be real with you. Um, if we can't imitate Jesus, we're not disciples. Because that's what disciples do. They imitate their master. And there's more. We could do six messages on how Jesus used the Bible, nine messages on how Jesus used the Bible. And therefore, it's got to be at, at, at one, of the, one of the central beating hearts, if you will, of our Christian experience. That's why I want it for you. Not so that we can have debates about the law. Not so that we can fight over the true meaning of Leviticus 18.12 or something. No. Because it gets us closer to the heart of Christ. And as we read it, he captures our heart. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I just want to give you, give you thanks for this captive audience today. Lord, there's just some weeks where folks are really tuning in. And Lord, I thank you that by your spirit we've tuned into your word today. Lord, I know none of what we did was flashy or creative. But Lord, your word doesn't need to be flashy and creative to touch our hearts and remind us of who we're supposed to be. Lord, I I ask today that by your spirit, you would help us to take one step closer to your word than the place that we stand right now. If we find ourselves daily studying your word and weekly or bi-monthly studying with other Christians and coming to church and listening to Pastor Matt, Lord, help us to study on a deeper level and ask you for more from your word. If we're finding ourselves today, Lord, uh, maybe listening to Pastor Matt and, and going to a Bible study, but we don't study it daily, or at least a, a number of days a week, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us by your spirit to hide that word deeper in our heart so that we might know you better and serve you better and, and, and fulfill the task you have us to fulfill and, and to be more inspired to reach the lost, to, to see mercy and not sacrifice as the center of our, of our faith. Redemption, mercy at the center of our faith, not, not ritual. Lord, if we're just listening to Pastor Matt, Lord, to thank you that, that we, you've, you've inspired us to come to church, but Lord, help us to either seek out places where someone can teach us the word or help us, Lord, to... Um, begin to study it on our own and use, use study tools to, to help us know it. Lord, whatever, whatever place we're at today, help us to get closer to your heart. We pray you'd use your word to get us closer to your heart so that we'd be like you and act like you and do things like you for your kingdom and for your glory. It's terribly practical, but it's incredibly true. Oh, Lord, help us to become the people you want us to be through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. If you are able, would you stand with us today?
just want to give a special invitation to those of you who are relatively new to Victory Life in the last few months or in the last calendar year. We'd love to have you sign up for that growth track with Pastor Otto on February 4th. Uh, Super important to get you invested in the life of the church, and we hope you'll consider that. But for now, we'll see you next week for a new series. God bless you.